So today um, I picked a quick proverb and then we'll launch into the message for today. Proverb 22, I chose verse 8. Those who plant injustice will harvest disaster. Doesn't sound too good. Doesn't sound too good a plan. You know, I think you should be glad um, to go to a church where you're going to hear good news. And um, I, I hope that if you have any questions about that, because I think, frankly, we hear plenty of bad news. I think we hear plenty of it. Um, and for some reason, we have an appetite for more. I mean, first thing I do, I sit down I, at my computer. I start, you know, if I have any spare time, I'm looking at news sites, see what's going on. And it's very rarely good news. And I keep going back. And um, I think we need more good news. Today, you're going to hear some good news. That's good news. You know, good news for you. I mean, I think if you came in today discouraged, I expect that you will leave today encouraged. If you came today with your head down, I think today you will leave maybe with your head, just a, your chin just a little bit higher. Because I, I really believe, and we teach here, that the Word teaches us that the very best is still yet to come. It's our best days are still ahead of us. And so, um, right? Right? Yeah, okay. So I believe. Now, I, and I believe this with all my heart is the Word of God. I believe the creator of the heavens and the earth decided to expose himself to help us understand who he is and what his plans are, and he did it by inspiring people, and it is this. This is the word of God. And uh, um, the, and the, main, the main point about this, this whole book, the, the reason that, that he wrote this book, sent us this book, I believe has to do with his love for humanity, and we're going to talk about that some more. So I'm going to read about it today, and we're going to start in John uh, chapter 11, 1 through 5. If you didn't bring your Bible, I encourage you to bring your Bible because I think many times when people are in church and they're hearing on a subject, the Lord will quicken and say, well, what about this verse? And you'll be off somewhere. And I know that sounds like I'm telling you to go ahead and be distracted. But if it's the Holy Spirit driving you somewhere else in the Word, it's a good thing. And how can you do that if you don't bring it with you? So I encourage you to do that. And uh, anyway, so John chapter 11, if you don't have it, it's up on the wall. That'll help us all out. Starting in, in verse 1. I use this scripture at funerals. I don't know why that's good news to you today, but anyway, I, this is one of my favorite funeral scriptures. I'm not going to tell you why today. I guess you'll have to die to hear it. Okay, so whatever. Um, <laughs> actually, if I'm doing your funeral, you won't hear it anyway, so you got to, never mind, this is getting worse every minute. Anyway, verse one. Now a certain man was ill, <laughs> Lazarus of Bethany, the village of Mary, and her sister Martha. It was Mary who anointed the Lord with ointment and wiped his feet with her hair, whose brother Lazarus was ill. So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, This illness does not lead to death. It's for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Verse 5, Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Lord, I am grateful for your word and for grace. Grateful, Lord, that we have the opportunity to explore something as profound and powerful as your word. Speak to us, Lord, with, with, um, with the ways that only the Holy Spirit will, and we, that's why that we're spending this time now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So I already feel better. We've been in the word of God. I hope you do. That should already be um, helping you. Um, maybe somebody at some point in, in your life, or maybe you've done this, where um, someone has said something to you in the absolute heat of the moment, and it wasn't good, what came out, and then immediately afterwards said, you know what, no, whoa, 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 hold up, hold up, hold up. I don't really mean that. It was just the heat of the moment speaking. You know, you maybe have, you've done that or you've heard that, and I, I w- I've been thinking about that. I'm not really buying 
the apology. I mean, the apology might be sincere, but I'm not buying that they didn't really mean what they said in the heat of the moment. In fact, I think sometimes it might be, you know, when, 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 when we're in the heat of the moment and when our filters have kind of somehow failed us, the filters between whatever and our tongue have failed us, that in those moments we actually kind of say what we really mean. We might say it more unloving than when we pr- would prefer to, but I think sometimes the filters are off, you know, when things are, in, in, when they get intense and, and difficult and stressful and complicated, I think um, the things you really believe about life, the things you really believe about God, the things you really believe about yourself, they, they tend to come to the surface and they slip right through our lips. And in fact, Jesus declared that to be true. In Matthew 12 and in Luke 6, he, he basically says that it's out of the abundance of the heart that the mouth speaks. There's another scripture, um, it's a rabbit trail, so I don't want to go too far down it, but another scripture says it's not the things that you eat that defile you because they pass through. It's the things that come out of your mouth that will defile you because they've come from your heart. Anyway, so I mean, I, I can think of some times where the heat of the moment didn't reflect too positively upon Terry's heart. And, um, you know, hopefully the older I get and the longer I've been married, um, the wiser I get and the better my heart becomes. And um, Lisa and I have been married for 39 years now, 39 and a half years. And, and uh, I mean, I know we were, we were married at three. And <laughs> <laughs> the truth is that um, there were some, in the, especially in the first couple of years of our marriage, if you had known me, you'd said, well, they probably cracked heads a lot because Terry must have been pretty difficult. And, I mean, that, that's true. I mean, we got, when we got married, I was 19. Now, that should be absolutely illegal. <laughs> okay. It should be illegal to get married at 19. And, um, you know, because frankly, at 19, you are not really ready to get married. I mean, you think that you are, but um, in fact, when you can admit you're not ready to get married, then you probably are ready. To, you can, then, then it's okay. But anyway, so, um, I mean, we had these, these times. And, I, and even though we had premarital counseling, which was really good stuff, and, I mean, as if three months of classes are going to prepare you for 60 years of marriage or whatever it's going to be. I mean, it solve all the problems you're going to have in the next 60 years because of three months of classes that, that a 19-year-old guy is really not paying that much attention to. He's just kind of going through the motions anyway. I mean, um, I, mean I think you should go through premarital counseling. <laughs> I think that's wise if you're going to get married. But, um, I mean, you should do that. It's important to do that. Early, early in our, um, in our marriage, in, at, the, at the encouragement of other people we knew and, and the premarital counselor, we read this book by Dr. Gary Chapman. It was called The Five Love Languages. And maybe you've read it. It's a good book. And uh, if you haven't read it, I'll just give you a quick overview. I'm not here to push somebody else's book, but there are some concepts in there that, that, that are relevant to today's message. And, and um, your love, everybody has these love languages. It's, it's how you feel love. And how you express love is your language. And there, according to Dr. Chapman, are multiple kinds of love languages. There's words of affirmation. There is quality time. There's receiving gifts. There's uh, acts of service. And then physical touch. And then touch me again, I guess. No, that's, not, that's an extra one. Um, but um, <laughs> anyway, Dr. Chapman says that everybody has a top two, maybe three, and the, the idea is that if you speak the language 
speak love to, the langu- to, to your mate in the language they speak, they'll catch the love. They'll catch it. But if you speak in a different language, they just see you being busy doing stuff, and they don't feel loved. Okay? So, anyway, makes more sense now after 39 years of marriage than it did before. And the idea is that we connect with other people according to if we understand how they feel love. But I didn't pay a whole lot of attention to that book either because, frankly, at 19... I already had women wired. I already had it all figured out, right? <laughs> Come on. I mean, that's what I thought. Okay, arrogant. I'm admitting I was arrogant. You know, um, I'm probably the only guy at 19 who has ever been arrogant. <laughs> and no women would be arrogant. Not like me anyway. But, but anyway, so we had a couple of episodes. Now, um, <laughs> I look at these now, and I chuckle about these, but these were heated episodes at the time. I mean, I don't even remember why we were fighting. But we had some fights. Now, but by the way, I always get Lisa's permission before I tell any stories like this, but she's basically said, hey, you're in ministry, you've been telling my story, what's the difference? Anyway, so, so, so she knows that I'm going to tell some stories, but I'm not pointing at her because, you know, it takes two. I, I, I remember one time when we got into this argument. Now, if you were around in the 70s, you probably remember some of the fashions. And one of the fashions was the woman's, was a woman's shoe called a clog. Okay? It was this... Well, you'd see, you'd see Dutch ones or something with paintings on them, but these are for really for your feet. And, but they're equally heavy. They weigh about 40 pounds apiece, <laughs> and you just slide your feet in. And I cannot re- recall for me... Um, um, what, 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 what the fight was about one time, I just remember at one point a little voice saying to me, move. And I stepped out of the way as this clog came whistling down the hall like a Randy Johnson fastball. <laughs> and I think it would have taken my head off if I hadn't stepped out of the batter's box. And I can't remember, I really can't remember, honey, did it hit the wall and bounce off? Did it embed into the drywall? Or did it blast all the way through into the garage? I don't know. It made a hole. It did something. I mean, I mean we, that was a heated moment. <laughs> Obviously, our love language there had somehow broken down somewhere. There was another time, um, same house. Um, and I don't remember what we got in a tussle about, but um, I, 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 I'm so angry. And I went out the front door and I slammed the front door. And the next thing you hear is this click. <laughs> now... This was before the days of, you know, a little clicker in your pocket to open your car to open your... I mean, this was back when, if you don't have a key, you know, and I'm just... That, now, that, that, whatever mad I was before, square it, right? I'm, I'm ticked now. And I don't remember... I still don't remember what the fights are about, right? I cannot remember these fights. But I remember thinking, I'm getting back in that house. I don't care if I'm winning this argument. I'm going to win the fact that I can get back in the house. And I found a bedroom window that wasn't locked. And uh, it was kind of hard to get into, and I slid it open, and I got in there, and I fell through, and I can't remember what I landed on top of a house plant or something, and obliterated it. Then there was another time. Um, <laughs> we'd been married a couple of weeks, and we didn't really have time to go on a honeymoon, but it wasn't very long at the time we got married, but later we went to um, Disneyland, the happiest place on earth. <laughs> 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 and uh, we got into some kind of a tussle. I remember her, she, she left the hotel, Motel 6. <laughs> they, they, they'll keep you light on. Anyway, so, um, so we're, <laughs> we're walking down the street, or she's walking down the street in a huff, 
in, we don't know those neighborhoods. Probably not safe, but I'm chasing her around in, in our Volkswagen Beetle. <laughs> get in the car, get in the car, and get in the car. I mean, haven't you had those, if you're married, you kind of know what I'm talking about. You know, you've had these times, and, um, you know, there, there's other times, you know, come home from work, open the door, Lucy, I'm home, you know, and it's like, no response. In fact, you could hang beef because there's a chill in the air, you know? And um, don't have any idea, okay, what, what, what's this about? I don't know what I did or didn't do, but there's obviously something going on. And honey, you okay? I'm fine. <laughs> fine. Now, listen, at 19, I was stupid enough to believe that when your wife says to you she's fine, that she's actually fine. <laughs> it's a code language, okay? And I, and I realize that now. I mean, it's like um, when, when women say that, you know, it's like I'm, I'm convinced that you women have this thing where a, a woman, a girl becomes 14 or 15, you take her away to a special code language retreat <laughs> and you say to them, hey, when some knucklehead does these things, so many, and you don't know what to do, your answer will be, fine. And you tell them that. And there's, this, there's another one, too. It's like, you know, when they ask you rhetorical questions, guys, this is a freebie. They don't really, there's no answer. There's not actually an answer. It's like, you know, are you going to watch football every day of our life? <laughs> I, I, is, is that an option? You know, it's like... <laughs> Because, okay, no, there is no correct answer. That's part of the retreat as well. Okay, I'm having a little fun. <laughs> I don't know there's a retreat. I've never caught in one. But anyway, I'm telling you guys, there's no right answer to that deal. And things start to escalate, and the feelings start to generate, and there's this stress level that rises, and the laundry starts being launched, and... And if we're honest, it's when life gets difficult, when, when things are challenging and they get intense and situations escalate, that our unfiltered feelings can tend to come on out. It's a healthy thing. It may not be the best timing in the best way, but it's a healthy thing for those feelings to honestly be shared in some healthy way if you can get there. And that brings us back to this little story here, these short five verses about Mary and Martha and Lazarus. Their little brother Lazarus is sick. Their beloved little brother is going downhill quickly. He's on death's doorstep. In fact, they're thinking he's got hours to live maybe. He's going to pass right off into, into eternity. And they've concluded that there's only one answer to this dilemma. They need a miracle. And to get a miracle, you've got to get it from the only place that miracles come, the miracle provider, and that is Christ. So they need Jesus. And they need Jesus to come and save Lazarus' life. So they write a note, and they put it in a runner's hand because Jesus is actually several miles away and down the road, and, 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 and they figure as soon as he reads this note, it will compel him, he'll get back here, and he'll fix, the, fix this deal for Lazarus. And now, we're going to discover what exactly Mary and Martha believe about God. When push comes to shove, 
when it's a matter of life and death, when the heat's on, what they really believe about Jesus is about to come to the surface. Now, keep in mind that Mary and Martha and Lazarus are very, very close to Jesus. You know, other than maybe his literal family, he, these, these people are very, very close to him. In fact, he spent almost the entire second to the last week of his life with them. Spent his time with them. And uh, so, now, knowing who Jesus is, knowing that he knew where he was going, knowing that he knew what he was going to face, this is like his, he's got stuff that's going to happen the last week of his life, all these things after the triumphal entry and the, the passion and all that kind of stuff. He knows what's going to happen. He's, so the week before that, he's kind of got maybe, I guess maybe we could consider it freer time, and he decides to spend it with these three. Okay, so these people are important to him. They're close friends. And um, do you ever read the Bible and kind of, you know, reading a story and kind of anticipate what it's going to say next, start thinking, okay, I can tell what's coming. Here's what's going to happen. I mean, I, I, I do that sometimes. Um, but this note that they've written, it seems to me alarmingly short. I mean, very, very brief. I mean, if it was me and somebody that I loved was dying and I knew the answer was right there, if you could just come over here and deal with it, I'd write a note, but it would be a lot more detail. I mean, I'd probably start including statistics. I'd say, you know, you know, this person spends all this time in prayer, 18 minutes an hour in prayer. They've done, you know, they usher at the church. They always give faithfully. They've been a great person. And I would, I would fill out this spiritual resume. I mean, the things he's done. And I'd add, I'd add something, you know, and, and, and he really loves you, God. Yet, when you read their note... It's the exact opposite. A little brief thing. They don't say, hey, and he loves you, Jesus. They say, Jesus, the one you love. It's the exact opposite. That's it. No resume. No credentials. No pitch. And that's what Mary and Martha believe. They know that what moves God most is his love for Lazarus, not Lazarus' love for him. And this, this might be a shock to, to your theology a little bit. I mean, this, because this, this truth kind of can put a microscope on our relationship with God and kind of turns things right side up maybe for some of us. I mean, I mean uh, this is a rhetorical question. I'm not asking you to answer that, but what do you think is the focus of the gospel? You know, the gospel is the good news of, of what God has done for mankind. What's the focus? Is, is it man loving God? Or is it God loving man? I mean, this, this, this scripture, this story we've read, leads to one very obvious, I think, biblical conclusion, and that's the essence of the gospel is overwhelmingly God loves us. God loves us. And, you know, guess, guess what it is, I mean, what moves God most? I'm going to start, start listing of things that we can do. The, the answer, I believe, is that God moves God most. What? Okay, Terry, keep going. I don't get it quite yet. Okay, I think an awful lot of people live their lives as if John 3.16 read like this. For the world so loved God that he gave his only begotten son. But that's not what it reads. I mean, a lot of Christians behave and live their life as if the gospel story went something like this. God's up, up there in heaven looking down, pacing back and forth on his golden streets. 
and uh, sees all kinds of problems, and there's a remnant of people somewhere praying, oh God, we need you. We love you. We desire you. Every, we really want to be with you. They're just enraptured with God, and he's up there thinking, well, should I come down there or should I not? I mean, I, uh, <clears throat> but they're pretty convincing. Okay, okay, you want me that bad, here I come. That's kind of how a lot of us have a tendency to view the gospel, that God was minding his own business, and if we would have just kept on rails to begin with, this wouldn't be a problem. But because we prevailed in prayer, he came. That is not what that, that scripture says. It's just not the gospel. It says, for God so loved the world. And he didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. I think it's reasonable. I'm going to make a case for us to say that God was, is obsessed with us. Obsessed with the world. Have you ever considered how ri- ridiculous, how illogical, how cross-grained <laughs> this most famous verse that Tim Tebow didn't write? Some people think Tim Tebow wrote this song, this verse, but okay, that I'll, I'll no, don't make a joke about Tim Tebow in the future. <laughs> but how ridiculous this scripture is. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Obsessed with the world. Yikes. I mean, excuse me, but this is John 3.16 we're talking about here. The word, the word world God so loved the world. The word world means bad people and bad systems. So John 3.16, you can read it. God was so obsessed with bad people that he put on skin and bone and came to the earth. It gets worse, okay? For whoever. Whoever. Whatever. <laughs> Sorry, but excuse me. You're going to do that for a whoever? Whatever? God was so obsessed with bad people that he gives his son on the premise of a whoever. Whoever. Wherever. Whenever. Whatever. What kind of love is that? Because... (laughs) I'm not familiar with that in terms of my earthly context. This does not make sense. God is obsessed with bad people. And from an earthly perspective, that just can't be good. That does not make sense. You're obsessed, God, with people who will never, ever reciprocate. While we sleep, the word says, God watches us. You think I've gone too far by saying obsessed? The word says that God knows our tomorrows. Every day of your life is recorded before there was one of them, Psalm 139. If you applied that word to me and you, and I watched you when you sleep, and that's what you call a stalker. <laughs> I'm not calling Jesus a stalker. I'm just saying this is, this is an obsession. This is a degree of attention and focus and love that goes beyond what we give it credit for. And some people are never, ever going to acknowledge it or reciprocate at all. And it doesn't change his attitude. 
And I think, you know, you know, God, you have foreknowledge. You know my tomorrows. You know everybody's tomorrows. Maybe you could, you know, use some discrimination here. Discriminate. Figure out the difference. Who's never going to follow you? And put your attention where it's going to make a difference. No. God can't and won't do that. He doesn't love like the world loves. He doesn't. God, but God does love. He so loves the world. People have said to me before, you know, God doesn't make sense. And I'm saying, that's <laughs> right. It's my, I mean, I don't mean to be, that's absolutely true. He's not a vending machine where you shove your dollar in and you push the buttons and out comes your choice. It's just not who God is. He's a mystery. His ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts. And if you understand God, that's not God that you understand. Scripture says you can't. His love is higher and even... Bad people, God loves bad people. In fact, God is obsessed with bad people. Even bad people who will stay bad, God is obsessed with. He stays in love with them. You know, God did not create hell for mankind, but for devils and demons. It was never God's intention. And people have a choice. And frankly, what is the worth of love without the choice? You've got to have a choice in there. In, in our culture, forced love is illegal. You go to jail for it. It's a form of abuse. God is not abusive. He doesn't force anyone. It's a free choice. He gives choice. And you can either acknowledge his obsession towards you or you can ignore it. It's your choice. But, but whatever you choose, the obsession remains because God loves us. He loves. First John 4, verse 10 says this. This is love. And then before it goes on to tell you what love is, it tells you what it's not. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us. God's first. God's the initiator. The book is, this book is completely about God's love. And while we're so busy focusing on our love, we get this completely upside down and out of order. You know, we, we have this obsession sometimes about my performance, my deeds, my efforts, so Mary and Martha use this word love in their note. Alec, I'm ready for you, bud. They say, Lord, the one you love is ill. And this word love that they use is the same word that you and I use commonly when we describe um, our word love. It's, uh, the Greek word here is phileo, and, it, and it's what song, love songs are sung about. It's it's earthly love. It's why you know you get married. It's why you have best friends. Phileo is a love that's based upon reciprocation. You love me, I love you. It's attractive to be loved, and we love back. Have, you know, frankly, have you ever been to a wedding where the bride is coming down the aisle screaming, "I hate this guy. He's terrible," and the groom is up front saying, "Yeah, here comes the woman that's for me." No, you won't see that because that's not how our systems work. It's reciprocated. That's phileo. That's how the world works. And Mary and Martha write this note to Jesus. You can re translate it like this. The one you love, Lord, and who loves you back is ill. That's what literally that phrase is saying. You know, Mary and Martha, do you think this is phileo? You think God phileos you? I'm here to tell you, church, that God does not phileo you. He doesn't. 
He never has, and he never will. God has this love that is exclusively his. It flows from who he is, and it's not phileo. It's otherworldly. It's, it's, it's from another realm. It's like from another dimension. It's, it's, it's the essence of his being. And he doesn't just merely express love. It's, it's, it's the fabric of who he is. And he always acts consistent with his character. God is love. So if God is love, but he's, it's not phileo, then what is it exactly? Well, there's another word that's described, and it's in the following sentence. Um, and, and that's a, the, the word agape. Agape. And if you're a student of the Bible, you've probably heard this teaching before, but agape is a love that absolutely does not need to be reciprocated in any way whatsoever. Nothing back. Nothing in return. It's unconditional. It's relentless. It's it's persistent. It's aggressive. It's not going to take no for an answer. It remains. This is our God. This is how he functions. He has agape love for every single human being that has ever existed. He doesn't phileo humanity. He agapes humanity. And as I'm wrapping up here, I want to say, that I don't mean for this to sound political. It's not. But I love dolphins, and I love whales, and I love mountains, and I love trees, and I love dogs. And I love oceans. And I love people who love cats. But there is only one created being in existence that was created in the image of God in all of creation and that's the human being and the human being is the object of God's loving obsession he loves you like crazy and he will not stop loving you he won't how ridiculous is that love we just don't understand it sometimes how extensive how extraordinary a couple of things quick things I'm not going to spend time on this I'm going to tell you this you have to let this get into your heart because we come up with and have these internal discussions with our soul about why we don't qualify for God's love it's who I am it's who I am loved by God how did you know where this song was going to, going to minister so closely to the word today? Way to go. Love by God. It's who I am. It's who you are. That's the first thing. The second thing is this. You have to share this. You will encounter people, more people in one day than I'll encounter in a whole week just because of where you circulate. And they need to know that God loves them in spite of what they believe and what they hear and what they see in the mirror and what people tell them. They need to know God loves them. And that's enough. You don't, it's not your job to convince the intellect of anybody to get saved. That is not your role. That is the role of the Holy Spirit. Your job is to share the gospel, the good news, and let the Holy Spirit go to work. And you start right there. God loves you. Sounds crazy, but it's the truth. And tell, I'm telling you what, when you tell somebody that God loves them, that's like handing a huge lever to the Holy Spirit. And you have no idea what will take place in the quiet places of that soul and that heart 
I encourage you to do that. We have to get that message out. If you're bad, God is obsessed with you. Obsessed full of love. He can't help himself. He can't shake it. He can't hide from it. His love remains. Let's pray. Lord, I pray today that we would become preoccupied.